High school track season is just around the corner and Cedic Run has everything you need to be ready. With a huge selection of running shoes and spikes, SDR is sure to have a shoe that you not only love, but one that will help you train at your best. Head to the shop to also check out their selection of sprint spikes, throwing shoes, distance spikes, jump spikes. They've got every event covered. If you aren't planning on hopping on the track anytime soon, no worries. Get a fresh pair of shoes for when the snow melts and you're ready to rip some miles around town. For the latest events, deals, giveaways, be sure to follow SDR on Instagram and Facebook. Located in downtown Grand Forks, that's Scenic Run, where life and running intersect. With Cam on paternity leave, I reached out to fan favorite Nate Peterson, author of the blog ND Runner, to be my guest host for this episode. We covered a wide variety of topics, starting with the unprecedented Summit League Championships US Championships double. That's right. UND has three women's weight throwers, Natalie Mooring, Allison Lardy, and Kenna Curry, who will be competing at both meets on the same weekend. One's in Grand Forks, one's in Spokane, Washington. We've never seen anything like it, so we'd break that down and dissect that for you. We also spend some time on this episode talking about the new North Dakota High School state track and field meet schedule and some of our favorite races and events from history that we love to rewatch on YouTube. Thanks so much for your support. Now here's episode 45 of the Prairie Track and Field Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Prairie Track and Field Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Enerson. And I'm your guest host, Nate Peterson. And Nate, we are super excited to have you back. Now, you know all things running, like the times, the distances, the stats. But yesterday, I was trying to think of the certain novel about running. It's like one of those famous running books. And I know the title now, but it took me a long time to figure it out. And I had to text Cam, and he eventually told me, but fill in the blank. The best novel about running is. I've always loved the book Once a Runner. Um, I've, I've read it probably twice. And I know that there's a lot of stuff in there that is, is like purely for effect. Um, but I, I just love it. The, the hermit doing 400s out on the track in the middle of nowhere. I love it. See, now what's funny is that's the one that I couldn't think of the title of. And I've never actually read it before, but. I've heard you talk about it. I've heard Cam talk about it. So once a runner, I haven't read this one either, but I know like born to run is a really popular one. Have you read that one? I've really liked that book too. I actually, um, I definitely jumped on the minimalist bandwagon after reading that book and got myself a pair of minimal shoes. And I I really liked it and I still wear them. Uh, I've also really loved running with the Buffaloes. Um, That was a really good book too. Mm Mm-hmm. And the person that I was having this conversation with, uh, they had mentioned a book called Running to the Edge. Have you ever read that one? Um, actually, I got an Amazon gift card for Christmas, and it's one of the books that I bought with that gift card. So I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to. Yeah, here I haven't read this one either. I need apparently to brush up on a ton of my reading, running, my run, <laughs> reading, running, my running, reading. <laughs> but the the title says. A band of misfits and the guru who unlocked the secrets of speed. So it sounds intriguing. Yeah. Also, um, 
I heard that there's an app called Libby. Have you ever used Libby before? I have not heard of that. I found out about it yesterday. Like this is not an ad either. This is, we are getting no money from Libby, but I guess it's like a kind of like a library app almost. So I don't know if you download books, but I personally like to have a print copy, but if you ever need a, a go-to, apparently this Libby app is the one to use. Hmm. Okay. I'll look into it. There you go. So we, before we started recording, we were talking about a few different things we want to discuss this episode. You are in the thick of an indoor track season yourself out in Virginia. Just tell us a little bit about your indoor track season and some of the nuts and bolts. Yeah. So indoor track season in Virginia is much different than in North Dakota, like North Dakota. I remember you would, you would have like a few indoor meets and like uh, maybe, maybe a conference and a state, and then you'd actually get an outdoor track, but the, the indoor meets were kind of meaningless, but in Virginia, it's an actual sanctioned high school sport, like a winter sport, high school track and field. And so we're finishing that right now. We had our regional meet this last weekend. We have our state meet this next weekend. And um, there's actually a little bit of drama because in our class, um, one of the regions ran their indoor region meet on an outdoor track. And so Mm. the coaches from the other regions are upset because it'll mess with the times for the seating at the state meet because you can run faster outdoors. But it's it's definitely interesting. There's events that I've had to learn as a coach that I'm not familiar with. You know, we have kids running the 300 and the 500 and the 1000, you know, going into coaching here. I didn't know what a good time for a high school women's 1000 was like, I, <laughs> you know, the girl said, you know, I'm trying to run 330. And I'm like, I have no idea what that means. But <laughs> now I do. So what is a good girl's thousand time? It seems around here, like anything from like 310 to 320 is pretty good. And anything under 310 is like um, elite in the state. Uh-huh. And there's a girl who has run 249, which when I first thought about it, I was like, okay. But then I thought more about it. And I was like, wait a minute, that's 200 more than an 800. <laughs> yeah, it's fast. She came is- through her. I got to watch her race at the region meet and she came through her 800 and in 217 and then maintained it for another 200. Just crazy. That is nuts. That's so fast. That's like, that's knocking on the door of my thousand meter PR. So (laughs) (laughs) I've got some work to do. It's better than most of the boys on my team. So dang. Yeah. So that's so cool that you're getting that. Like you said here, it's so condensed, but I also know last year, with COVID, it was a really big deal to get outside as soon as possible. And they had an outdoor meet in March, which was like unprecedented. So hopefully with good weather and granted Fargo and Grand Forks, I know for sure have not been getting good weather. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Well, I remember my first year coaching um, at White Shield, the, the first outdoor meet in the whole state that year was like the third week of April in Hazen because they were the first school that had gotten their track dried and cleared off and I think there was 35 or 36 schools there because everybody wanted to finally get a meet done yeah definitely like whatever it takes at that point and I don't know if you can hear my dog in the background but Delilah is wanting to be on the episode so if you hear it throughout that's uh it's her feature so guest host Nate Peterson (laughs) guest host Delilah so anyway let's kind of segue into some of the points that we've got for tonight's episode a big one. This one, 
is also unprecedented. We have the U.S. Indoor Championships coming up, and these U.S. Indoors are a qualifying meet for the World Championships that are going to take place in Serbia in March. Now, U.S. Indoors, never quite as popular as U.S. Outdoors. The outdoor meet always fills up a lot more clout going to an outdoor World Championship. But an indoor meet for a World Championship carries pretty similar weight. Still not quite as much, but it's a big deal. Now, you're wondering, okay, what? why are you bringing U.S. Indoors up? Like, we don't have a ton of North Dakotans that are probably going to compete there. Um, there's a few. Madeline Strandamo will be there. Peyton Otterdahl, not from North Dakota, but he'll be there. And here's why we bring it up. There was something brought to my attention the other day that in the women's weight throw, UND had entered three of their women's weight throwers. Now, right away, you think, okay, that's not that big of a deal. It's cool. They've, you know, thrown pretty well this year. So what's strange about that? Why are you bringing it up? Well, what's interesting is U.S. indoors is the same weekend as the Summit League Championships. Now, the Summit League Championships are a Friday-Saturday meet, and U.S. indoors are a Saturday-Sunday meet. So upon further looking at this, I reached out to UND head coach Jim Camp, who let me know that his women's weight throwers, if they get into U.S. indoors, will indeed throw at conference and then go and throw at U.S. indoors. This has never been done, I'm sure, in North Dakota history, but I would be willing to say not very many schools would be willing to do this, to turn around and have their kids get on a plane probably the afternoon or the night of Saturday and try to throw on Sunday. And that's what I'm assuming. I didn't get that detail from coach, but Nate, like, what are your thoughts on this right away when you hear this? When you first told me that, I, I, was, I just kind of had to stop and I was like, what? Because it's just so crazy to think about because I only think of like professionals and the highest level elite collegians going to USA indoors. And um, I know that there's no, nobody on UND's whole track team that's ranked like top 10 nationally that I'm aware of. And so I was just really surprised. I'm sitting here, I'm trying to think like, you know, if you're, if you're the head coach for UND track and field, like what reason would you have to spend the money to bring athletes of yours to USA indoors? Like, what, what do you think, Ryan? Like, why, why would the head coach of UND's team do that? What do you think? Well, I could try to like make something up or I can tell you exactly what he told me, but okay. Biggest thing is exposure to that level of competition. These are three girls that he believes that are going to have breakthroughs down the road that are going to be able to put up some big marks and hopefully someday be competing at an NCAA championship meet. And so trying to get some exposure at that level and also just the more meets that they're going to attend like this, it's going to help with recruiting and what he believes is culture change, which is something that I know coach Baron camp was really adamant about when we interviewed him right away when he took the job. So big thing. Yeah. Recruiting, getting some, some airtime for UND and, also just getting athletes exposed at that level. I mean, I, I will say that it's, it's really exciting to hear because I remember when I was at UND, there was, there was a lot of hesitancy of bringing athletes to big meets. You know, like I remember my last year of college, we went to a meet at the University of Jamestown with like our whole team. 
And, you know, I'm, I, I have nothing against D2, D3, NAI schools. Like I literally have no problem with any of those schools, but as a D1 program, it was kind of like, why did we go to a meet at Jamestown when, you know, NDSU is going to like Nebraska or something. And so it's exciting as a UND alum to hear that they're branching out and like going to a much bigger, like more prestigious meet like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at this point, I've also realized that I haven't named these women's weight throwers. So just to get some name recognition here, we got Natalie Mooring. She's a junior for UND. We have Allison Lardy. She's a senior for UND. And then we've got Kenna Curry, who's the youngest out of the group. She's a sophomore. Now, when I first heard this, I was really interested because, like I said, I don't think too many schools have done this. And if you go and you look on the status of entries, there are several collegiates that are entered into the meet. But what's interesting is most of them come from the Pac-12 conference. And there's kind of two hypotheses behind these. Number one, the Pac-12 doesn't have a true indoor conference meet. They combine with the Big South and I believe one other conference to make the MPSF, which is a made-up indoor conference, and it doesn't really carry that much weight. So athletes that are already ranked nationally figure, I'm not going to compete at this made-up conference meet. I'm just going to focus on the NCAA championships in March. Now, the other thing that's interesting is the MPSF meet is always held at UW, University of Washington in Mm -hmm. Seattle. So U.S. indoors are in Spokane. So I figure, too, if some athletes, maybe maybe those athletes are competing at both, compete at a conference and drive a few hours to Spokane and compete at U.S. indoors. But definitely no mid-major schools doing this. So I was just stunned, honestly, when I heard that a school like UND that's with some first-year coaches that are in the middle of a culture change, kind of reinventing themselves, they're, they're pulling this off. Now, the other thing that makes me really stunned by this is, does this have a snowball effect now? For example, a few years ago, if you remember, cost of attendance became a thing where schools could offer a small stipend on top of a scholarship or a percentage of your scholarship. I think it was up to like $3,500 a semester. And uh, I know NDSU started doing it, which made SDSU and USD start doing it. I'm sure UND started doing it too. I'm not certain, but it was kind of the snowball effect and you had to do it to quote unquote, keep up with the competition. And I'm wondering, these UND throwers are currently ranked fourth, sixth and eighth in the summit league right now so does this mean ndsu is going to look at this usd is going to look at this and say well if they're sending their athletes if this opportunity presents itself next year do we have to send our athletes and pull off this same thing it's it's very easy for it to turn into to turn into an arms race in college i mean look at look at some of these facilities like like sec football programs are building Oh, you built a you built a ten million dollar facility. I'm going to build a twenty million dollar facility. I mean, even you know, you think about UND a few years ago did what like a two million dollar locker room renovation for their hockey program, probably just to stay ahead of the curve. And so, I mean, I can definitely feel that. Um, the The question is, of course, um, what's going to happen? Like, how are the throwers going to do? I feel like that'll have a lot of effect as well. Like they'll have that exposure and we'll see how they do and see how maybe other schools look at that and go, do we want to have that same experience that they had? 
Yeah, I really do think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Now, currently, the athletes are listed as not accepted. However, the women's weight field didn't fill up. So I do believe at the end of the declaration period, which is Thursday night here at midnight, I think Pacific Coast time, then I think those will end up changing to accepted. So it will be interesting, one, if this 100% for sure does play out, but two, we'll have to just kind of follow some of the logistics behind it. Because think about that. You throw at the conference meet, you get on a plane, and you fly to Seattle, then probably drive to Spokane, and then you got to get up the next morning and throw weight. Like, what a trip. And granted, I don't know if these, I would assume these three girls would also throw shot put at a conference. I know shot put and weight are on different days. So like, you'd think for sure they're sticking around until Saturday and trying to jet out and make this work. But it's a really cool story that's developing and one that we're going to have to keep following. I would hope that they fly into Spokane because Washington's a fairly big state. I wouldn't want to have to drive all the way from Seattle to Spokane. Just out of interest, I'm going to take a look. We'll look at Google Flights and let's see what a flight from Grand Forks to Spokane is. I bet over under $600. What do you think? There was a couple times at UND where we would fly out of Devil's Lake um, because it was cheaper than fl- like we would we would get on a bus and bus to Devil's Lake and like we would literally fill that airport with our whole team. There wasn't even enough space for all of us to sit there at the at the gate and then we get on a flight. Okay, so for sh- out of Fargo, the current price for leaving on Saturday and coming back on Sunday because I would I'd almost assume that they well, you'd probably have to come back Monday. And let's okay, so let's say Saturday to Monday, the 26th to the 28th from Grand Forks to Spokane. Okay, right away they give me a flight out of Fargo. And that one's $675. But if we <laughs> we do GFK, if we do GFK, that's $768. So three athletes plus a coach. You know what they say? Swag ain't cheap. That's right. <laughs> So, Nate, moving on to our next talking point, you brought something up to me that I wasn't aware of. I was at one point, it, I totally forgot about it, so I'm glad you brought it up. But tell me about the SDSU High School Mile that took place this last weekend. Shout out to social media. I'm on Strava now, and I only know about this because of Strava. But, yeah, they had a, they had a girls' and boys' high school mile down at South Dakota State. For anybody who hasn't raced there before, they have a 300-meter track just like und does um so it's really nice to go down there and run fast um our class b state champion in cross country ian bush um went down there and ran 427.7 which i mean that's throwing down for class b at this time of the season there have been some years in state history where a time like that wins the state meet in class b and so to come out here early before, you know, outdoor has even started yet and be running that time, that's pretty good. It also, um, there's no, there's no school attachment in the results, but there is, um, Ethan Schaefer who took ninth. I got to assume that that's Ethan Schaefer from Kindred, um, 23. Again, earlier in the season, class B, that's a good time. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, if we go and we look at last year's state championship results, um 424 is what won the boys 1600 that was Noah Rolf from Stanley so I mean like that's that's knocking on the door right there and Mm -hmm. last year at the state meet 
Ian Bush ran 435. So to already shave eight seconds off, I don't know if that was a PR necessarily at the state meet or um, what his PR is in that event. If this 427 he just ran is a new PR, but I mean, to his very last race of the track season last year to his first race early February to go, you know, eight seconds faster. That's, that's very impressive. Well, Hey, I'll, same thing. Oh yeah. You Strava this. I'm going to Strava creep here. He says uh, PR by six seconds, Ian Bush says. So to come out here and run a six-second PR before the season's even rolling, Dude. watch out. Yeah, that's really, really nice. What did you say Ethan Schaefer ran? Uh, 442.23, it says in the results. Okay. And last year at the state meet, he ran just under 439. He ran 438.98. So, I mean, he's right there too. So to be knocking on the door of what you ran – your last meet of the season in, in early February, that's huge. So mm-hmm. expect to see some really, really, really interesting kind of developments there. But you said no North Dakota girls in that race, huh? Not that I saw. You know, I, I could be mistaken. Like I said, they don't have any school or state attachments. I just personally didn't recognize any of the names. Yeah, no, that's good. Hopefully down the road we can get a few North Dakota girls in there. Now, on the topic of high school, I didn't even think we were going to touch on high school track that much. We'll have a preview episode coming up here soon in a couple of weeks. But one big development in high school track in North Dakota is that the state meet is going from a two-day schedule to a three-day schedule this year. Now, I had not seen this schedule yet until when I was just looking up last year's results that popped up on my screen. Nate, have you seen this schedule yet? Um, yeah, I saw it in the, the state minutes um, a few months ago. So on Thursday, they're only going to run the four by two prelims and the 3200 final. What do you think about that? What are your first thoughts? My first reaction was that I don't like it at all. Um, I, I understand where it's coming from. And, and I know that like college conference meets are three days. And I, I almost wonder if it's based off of that, but I, I can't imagine that because correct me if I'm wrong, but it'll be a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? Like the extra day is Thursday, not Sunday, right? Correct. Correct. I, I can't imagine that adding events on Thursday is going to actually increase attendance and exposure. And I don't know if it's still there or not, but I remember they had talked about doing like a, like a special field event on either like Thursday or Friday, which means like every year they'd kind of like pick the one that was the deepest. And I'm, I'm just like on a, on a Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. And so the four by two and the 3,200, those will be the only ones on the track, but on the field you'll have, yeah, all sorts of things kind of split up between classes. Again, you'll have um, high jump, you'll have some shot put, some discus some pole vault. So there's, I mean, several field events going on. It is just one of those things where I think of most spectators are there and they kind of camp out the whole day, right? Because even if you have somebody running the last event, you got to save your spot. You got to get there early. But yeah, I just don't think on Thursday, I just don't think you're going to have the same, nearly the same attendance. Yeah. And I don't want to. I don't want to get stuck into the old man mindset of like, you know, I hate change. I don't want anything to change, but like adding something further into the work week 
I don't think is going to help accomplish what they want to accomplish. Now, I am aware that um, there's been a lot of grumbling over the years about having four by four prelims um, rather than just four by four finals. And mm-hmm. I, I, w- I think that this schedule adds four by four prelims on the Friday. I might be mistaken on that, but I think that was one of the things they were trying to accomplish. You are. No, you're not correct. No. They, they did not add four by four prelims. I thought that was one of the main reasons to go three days. But I mean, also when you're talking expenses now, I was, I always taught at class B schools in North Dakota. So I'm coming from a small school mindset. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother day of hotel rooms too, for these schools that have to travel because like from West Fargo growing up, we had to, we went there Thursday and stayed Thursday night and competed on Friday. You know, are we talking these schools that are four or five hours away? Are they coming on Wednesday now and adding another day of hotels? Cause that's expensive. That is expensive. Yeah. When track budgets aren't big to start with. Huh. So yeah, we're going to see a lot of change. And, and then the tough thing too, is, you know, some schools have been able to work in their budget now going to maybe a Howard Wood meet or going to a meet that's just a little bit further away. But now if you have to spend an extra night of hotels for the state meet, does that take away some of the travel that these schools have been able to do in the season? It's, and I, I can't answer that question. We'll have to ask some of our high school coach friends that, but yeah, I'm just really interested to see some of the ramifications that come from this. I believe um, if, if I remember correctly, I think that the vote that this committee um, that passed this, it was either like unanimous or maybe like one dissent, like it wasn't close. So, um, but then also I, I, I am aware there was a couple of high school coaches on social media that expre- expressed displeasure um, at not being, uh, that this wasn't transparent that they weren't aware that this was coming. So I am curious behind the scenes, like how people feel about this. I don't think it's a fully united front. I'm completely against it, but I'm also not a high school coach in North Dakota right now. Yeah. I think the only way I see this being better is if you, you'd have to move more events to Thursday. I think that's the only way that you make this to be really, really, well attended it's just i i do like the idea of getting some more exposure on the field events there's no question about it but i don't think the public's going to turn up for the four by two prelims and the 3200 final on a thursday nightly do you think that's going to pull people from you know from out of the bismarck area to come watch yeah you know i don't i don't think it necessarily will you know the 3200 it's a cool event and like 7 p.m it'll kind of be getting dusk a little bit you know maybe it's still pretty light out at 7 p.m probably not under the lights but it's just tough too because like 7 p.m that's pretty late in the day and like some of these kids are gonna have to turn around and run the 1600 you know let's see how many hours is that like 16 hours later that's (laughs) that's a pretty short turnaround and like so you know you might say and actually, no, that doesn't make sense. Like, why why wouldn't you now have the 1600 on Saturday and give a day and give the four by eight in between? Just kind of like have an event in between to, that's not as grueling. But to, that's a quick turnaround the more I look at that. So the 1600s on, on, the, on Friday? Yes. 
So that so there's no pure distance event on the day of finals. It's it's eight hundreds. Correct. You know that's 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 a joke. You know that's that's my distance side. Like that that's a joke. Like the the mile at the very least, um, the the mile and the two mile. One of those needs to be on the day of finals. Yeah, yeah. That I feel like they kind of dropped the drop the baton on this one per se, but I don't know. We'll see. Like, like we said, hopefully we do get some more exposure on the field events. That's always a good thing. And I think that Mm -hmm. allows, I think that allows more eyes on different parts of the sport and helps Mm -hmm. bring in some more fans to new events. But I feel like there will be changes after this season and who knows, maybe they'll even make changes leading up to the state meet, but as of now, and it says updated February 11th. So just a little less than a week ago, that's, what the North Dakota High School Athletics Association or Activities Association has in mind. Hey, but I guess my concluding thought is um, a guy from Midco Sports Network put on social media that it's um, the state of Iowa moved to a three-day state track meet and it's been successful there. And apparently South Dakota is doing it this year too. So maybe that's just the way of the future, I guess. The way of the future. <laughs> so speaking of I don't even have a good segue for this. We'll just move into the next topic. <laughs> so one really interesting thing we've been following is some of uh, specifically North Dakota state athletes. However, you had talked about, there's no UND athletes that are ranked within the top 10. I don't, I don't believe she's top 10. However, UND does have a pentathlete that's ranked quite high nationally, but what, I just want to bring up is how hard it is to make NCAAs. Now, the one that everyone's been talking about is the mile. And there are no North Dakota natives that are close to making the top 10 or excuse me, the top 16 in the mile. And if you're unfamiliar with how the NCAA indoor championships work, the NCAA takes the top 16 times throughout the season. Those athletes make it to the NCAA meet and Get this, 16th place right now in the men's mile is 356. That's so fast. And to break, my screen right now only goes down as far as the top 50 times in the nation, but 50th place is 358 right now. That's nuts. So specifically for North Dakota athletes, we've had our eyes on Jacob Rodine for quite a while. Now, I had in a previous post this season, if Jacob Rodin got under 148.6, that time made NCAA indoors last year. Well, he answered the call. He goes out and he runs 148.52 at the Iowa State Classic. But that's ranked 35th right now. That's still almost 20 places out of qualifying for the NCAA meet. How crazy is that? It's, I mean, the... The more you say it, the crazier it gets. You had talked about, you know, there's no North Dakotans in the top um, whatever for the mile. C- consider this. The fastest mile that a North Dakotan has run on the men's side ever. Corey Emels is the only sub four North Dakotan ever. And he ran 359.7. And like you just said, 50th place in the NCAA Division One level right now is 358.8. So the fastest time ever run by a North Dakota wouldn't even crack the top 50 in the division one this year. And for women, um, this one 
is actually a lot better. Um, Madeline Strandimo, Strandimo, mm-hmm. Strandimo, Strandimo. Um, she ran 431. She's running professionally right now, and she ran 431 this season, and that would actually be ranked number three in the NCAA for the women. So shout out to the women getting it done. Yeah. And Strandimo, just quick plug, she'll be competing at U.S. Indoors in the 1500s. So we'll hopefully have some news on her. Now, here's another interesting one. So this one's not quite as drastic, but another North Dakota that's ranked really high right now. Brandon Lewis, the Bismarck native, competing for North Dakota State. He jumped 766, 7.66 meters, also 25 feet, one inch. And... Yeah, huge jump, right? And last year, that jump would have been ranked 19th in the nation. Um, So close to making the NCAA indoor meet. Right now, that's ranked 27th. So that's, I mean, almost 10 spots lower, which maybe doesn't sound like a lot, but that's 10 more guys from last year to this year that have outperformed that mark. And like we see inflation on prices, but oh my gosh, in, <laughs> nobody's talking about inflation of the NCAA meet. I, I will say um, going back, you had mentioned the, the athlete from UND in the pentathlon. Mm-hmm. She is ranked 20th nationally and it's the top 16 declarations. So it's possible that if some people don't do it, she might be able to sneak in. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Now, okay, just for comparison, what is her current score right now? Um, 4,029 points at the UND Open. Okay, so she's currently ranked, you said 19th? 20th. She's ranked 20th. That would have been ranked 13th last year. So there too, you know, there's another seven people that have performed that a little bit. And we haven't even had conference meets yet. You know, a lot of, a lot of multis, um, might only do it like once during the season before the conference meet because it's such a taxing thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I don't have to say that to you because you've done it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just crazy how hard it is to make an NCAA meet. But, I mean, hopefully this is a little fuel for the fire for these athletes, not just listening to this podcast, but knowing that they're going to have to do something special at the conference meet to get this done. And, you know, it's tough when you're, a run like an 800 event that's a not always a fast race at conference a lot of times that's a tactical race and mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see if that changes that dynamic um actually one year i raced the 5000 at the conference meet at montana state and there was this guy named hayden hawks um anybody who pays attention to ultra running knows who he is because he's one of the top ultra runners in the u.s right now but at the time he was at Southern Utah and he was one of those like 25, 26 year old seniors that these Utah teams have. And he had wanted, he wanted to get a time to qualify for nationals and he needed to run like 1340 or something for the 5k. And so that Montana state's track where you get an altitude and a track conversion, um, he tried to do it there. And so he just went out so hard and everybody went with him. And that race was terrible like (laughs) if you go out too fast at altitude you only make that mistake once you'll never make that mistake again because it is miserable but he ended up um 
blowing up majorly and little old me almost caught him at the finish. So that's my claim to fame. I almost, I almost beat an ultra runner once almost. Okay. On the topic of past big sky meets, did you ever compete against Christian Serratos from Montana state? Um, the year that he ran the three fifty five mile, um, at the start line of the conference meet, that was actually right next to him. Um, that was, <laughs> uh, I mean, he was a larger than life figure. I was like in awe. I'm like, I'm not on the same starting line as Christian Stratos. And then as soon as the gun went off, you know, I was no longer next to him, but yeah. I went on a, just a random Christian Serratos dive like a week ago, nah, probably two weeks ago. And just was like, he's retired now. He's, you know, still pretty young, but he retired, but dude is fast. So that's a pretty cool claim to fame. The, the best race still to this day that I've ever watched is the NCAA national meet in the mile where Serratos like four or 600 into the race decides he's had enough of this jog fest and drops like a, like a 54 or 55, 400 right in the middle of this mile. And only Edward Cheserick stays up with him. And that is such a fun race to watch. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're almost done with this episode. I do want to give a couple of quick shout outs to some schools and then we're going to end it with kind of a, a different question. So Minot state has been lighting things up. We've covered them a lot. They set a couple new school records this weekend, new 800 school record from Lewis Cotterell. Uh, Jacob Jensen comes around with another school record. That guy is going to be the king of school records at Minot state pretty soon. They set a D two era DMR school records so that's really great and had a thrower on the women's side Corey Nagel also a North Dakota native who set a school record as well so really great things out of Minot State and then you Mary I was gonna post about this earlier this week and just didn't have time to but I think the U for you Mary stands for under the radar even though that's a lot of words they just like they're always there they're always doing good things and their women are really lighting things up so I believe an 800 school record and then a four by eight school record on the women's side this weekend at SDSU. So really great things. I've got one more thing before we end this episode, this one's going to grind your gears a little bit. What do you, what are your thoughts on school records getting converted? Like, do you count conversions for school records? And I think you have a little bit of personal experience with this one, right? I am. I am too personally attached to this question because um, I would have a school record at UND if altitude conversions counted. I currently do not because altitude conversions do not count. Um, and so I'm very personally attached to that question. Don't know if I can be unbiased. It basically comes down to whether or not you believe they're accurate. And um, my biased opinion is that for people coming from sea level, it is. But that's that's just my opinion. See, the reason I bring that up is Concordia, I had a post about this, but Concordia set nine school records, excuse me, nine school bests in 10 days, but they weren't all considered records because Concordia converts times from like oversized 300 meter tracks to 200 meter flat track time. So the fastest time running Concordia history was done this weekend at SDSU was like 48 something, but it got converted to a slower time for the record books. And just an interesting approach, just like Minot State has the D2 era records. That's kind of a unique approach. Concordia converts everything to a 200 meter flat track time. UND and NDSU, whatever the clock says is what it says. And that's what goes in the record book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
just so so unique when we're talking about records yeah pe- people think that records are just straight up but there really is a lot more to it than that i mean there's a there's a guy from i believe washington and lee university division three who broke the d3 national record in the mile this year like 356 or something but um it was run on an oversized track and so or banked it, it was one of those tracks and it was converted to whatever d3 converts it to so it was a slower time like 358 or 359 and so you know did he actually break the record or are we using the converted time i believe if i remember correctly montana state did use altitude converted times for their school records so it does kind of come down to a school by school decision about what they do with these things yeah yeah it's just super interesting i heard that and i was just i was really invested for about a day and a half trying to get to the bottom of this and <laughs> going back through old NDSU records to figure out what they did. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Something that you'll have to keep your eyes on in the future. Yep. Nate, to end this episode, once again, I'm putting you on the spot here. So you, when you brought up that, that race that Christian Serratos had the 2015 NCAA meet, there's just like, when you're a student of the game, there's just like a couple competitions that you got to go back and watch. And as a distance runner, if you were recommending to distance runners, and I'll try to think of some for non-distance runners, but what are some races that you would tell every young distance runner that they have to go on the YouTube and watch? Um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to remember what year it is. Um, there is, I can't remember exactly what year, but there is a year at world cross country where, Bekele, the absolute world star, world record holder, 5K, 10K, multiple time world cross country champion. He does his normal thing where he just goes out and, you know, he's dropping the field. They're just disappearing back. And then all of a sudden, like you can tell that something's wrong, like something's not right. And the announcers notice it right away. And the drama that unfolds in that race is actually crazy. And I'm going to see if I can find what year that is. Okay. Well, you're looking at that. There's a race and man, there's going to be maybe some awkward pauses, but there's a race that takes place. It's the Prefontaine classic and it's a young Alan Webb, the American record holder in the mile, the current American record holder in the outdoor mile. It's the 2001 uh, Prefontaine Classic. He gets to race in the elite field with Hikam El Garouge of Morocco, who's the the world record holder in the outdoor mile. And mm-hmm. that's that's just an epic race. That's the 2001 Prefontaine Classic. So I'd recommend that one for a young distance runner. Did you find the year for your race? Um, I think so. Let me. Yes. Um, it was the 2007 World Cross Country Championships in Mombasa. Mm. I, I don't remember how I came across it on YouTube, but I remember watching it and then I watched it again and I watched it again. And it's just such a great example of in distance running, it's so easy to get caught up in the times and look at somebody's PR and say, oh, they're faster than me. Therefore, I will lose to them. And then they get ahead of you and it's like, okay, well, this is exactly what was supposed to happen. I'm going to lose to them. But this was an example of the people in second and third 
not giving up and reaping rewards from that. If you ever want to see a great video for never give up, if you're in second or third place, I'd recommend the 2007 World Cross Country Men's Final. I'll have to go look at that one. I've watched a lot of races, but I have not seen that one. Okay, we'll go to a totally different event. If you're a thrower, you need to watch the 2019 Men's Shot Put Final at the World Championships in Doha. Ryan Krauser, Joe Kovacs, and Tom Walsh of New Zealand go just back to back to back. Huge throws that just are like so close to the world record. And they trade the lead and it the competition's decided by just a few centimeters. But if you're a thrower or you're a big field event person, I would say 2019 men's shot put final. That would be a recommendation. Do you have any other ones, Nate? Um, man, it's really hard. Like, obviously there's, there's bias towards like the races that are most recent in your memory. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if, if you're into watching marathons, like rewatching the, the Olympic marathon from this last cycle on the women's side and watching Molly Seidel, um, taking the bronze medal. Like I, I remember I was sitting in a restaurant actually, and I couldn't even focus. like, it was like a family gathering. I couldn't even focus on the family gathering. Cause I was just fixated on the TV, watching her like <laughs> pack of five. And it was a pack of four. And it was a pack of three. And it's like, she's still there. Um, I loved that. Yeah. That one's a huge race. Let's see other ones. Oh, oh, I got another one. Yeah, um, I believe it. it was the 2012 Olympics when Mo Farah and Galen Rupp went one, two in the 10,000 meters. Um, that was really fun to watch, even though I am not a Nike Oregon project fan. And, you know, I'm really happy Alberto Salazar got that lifetime ban. Um, but it was still a fun race to watch nonetheless. Yeah, that one is really good, too. I watched that one a couple of times. Other really good races that are maybe in a few different events. I still think the men's 400 Wade Van Niekerk's world record is amazing. Like just not running scared out of lane eight. That's epic. Uh, let's see other really good ones. Long jump. I mean, still the current long jump world record. Mike Powell and Carl Lewis going back and forth in the 90s. That's a really, really great one. Just kind of going head to head, toe for toe, blow for blow. That one is a really great video if you're another field event person. I'll throw in some decathlon stuff. If you have a chance, you got to watch. There's compilation videos, so you don't have to watch all 16 hours of the decathlon, but uh, Ashton Eaton's world records, especially when he sets the world record the second time at the 2015 World Championships in Beijing, he runs a 45 flat 400, which is just nuts for a decathlete. That one's really good. Or if you watch Kevin Mayer's world record in 2018, that one's really big too. So those are some good ones on the multi side of things. And do you, do you remember, um, I don't know if you did this as a high school athlete, but do you remember the, the Bismarck coaches maintaining that website with like all the results from across the state during track season? Do you remember that? Yeah. Yep. Um, and I remember, I don't even remember what year of high school it was, but they had like a video on their front page of Dave Waddle in the Olympics, like back in the seventies or eighties, like running the 800. 
um, I don't even remember what year it was, but Dave Waddle, when he won gold in the Olympics, like that video that was always on Bismarck's like track and cross country website, classic. That one is, so that was 1972. 72. Yep. Yep. That's a really good one. I mean, shout out to the Bismarck like track and cross country staff for how many years they have maintained amazing records of running in high school in North Dakota. Like, um, I don't think like high schoolers right now understand like what they built. Not only did they build a dynasty at their own school, but they were logging all the results from across the state. They were keeping records lists. They were um, giving hyperlinks for the state and region results. And like, I mean, we, we are so indebted to what Bismarck staff has done over the last two decades in this state with high school running. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Phenomenal. So if you're listening to this podcast and you have any recommendations for great videos, make sure you share it with us on social media. We can talk about them in upcoming episodes. Nate, do you have anything else for us? I think as track season approaches, if you haven't started getting your miles in yet, you need to get your miles in right now because track's coming faster than you think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think in North Dakota, I'm pretty sure it's on Monday. So pretty sure next we week, go. it's already here. So you've got, you've got like from when you're listening to this for the first time, you have like three days to get in your base mileage. So <laughs> good luck. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your support. Be sure to follow us on social media at Prairie TF Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Also make sure that if you haven't left us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify yet, you do that. It's free. You don't have to do anything to support us. Just give us a nice little shout out. And thank you again so much for listening. We'll see you next week.